Welcome to another episode of Expanding Circles. This is episode four featuring Daniel Scharf. Today we talked about wizard hippies, cathedrals, castles, and lots and lots of food. I hope you enjoy. So welcome back. My guest today is Mr. Daniel Scharf. Say hello to the people. Hello, people. So you are from California, correct? Yes, Northern California. Okay, and I've heard you describe your hometown as a hippie town. Yes. So what's what's the name of the place? Uh, so I'm from a small town called Mount Shasta. Um, it's in Northern California, about an hour south of Oregon. And so when you say Northern California, you mean Northern California, yes. not like Bay Area. Northern yes. California. No, I, I actually think of Bay Area as kind of Central California. That makes more sense because it's such a long state that yeah. only having Northern and Southern doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't for a lot of reasons. Uh, Northern California is rather different. As far as I am, uh, like as far north as uh, I am, it's more like I'm in Oregon. Um like but culturally and things? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, also, Northern California is different from the Bay Area and most of California in that it's more, uh, unlike most rural parts of states, it's more conservative, except for my hometown. Okay, and is that one of the hippie-ish elements yes. of your hometown? So Mount Shasta is a... it's kind of i think it it became a kind of spiritual and hippie retirement community spiritual community and hippie retirement community so there's a lot of weird i say weird cults and religions popping up there um it's normal to see someone walking around town in robes i mean sometimes those robes could be someone from the monastery uh, there's a large Buddhist monastery, or it's someone with long beards wearing maroon robes with crystals on it, carrying a staff with a crystal on the top of it. So basically Gandalf. Yes. Okay. Yes. And they're all over. Um, yeah. Uh, then, you know, the older generation who uh, wear tie-dye and, and smoke a lot of marijuana, um, that's, that's Mount Shasta. Okay, so small town? Small town. Uh, 3,000 people. Okay, so that is a very small town. Yeah, well, 3,000, 3,500. Okay. Yeah. And so how was your experience growing up in a hippie? It what? it was a great place to grow up. Um, when I was growing up, there was pretty much no crime. Uh, people, I, I could... I walked to school when I was very young, and while that's normal in Japan, in the United States, it's not as normal for a young child to walk to school. Uh, but in Mount Shasta, it's fine. Um, I had friends who called it the Shire from Lord of the Rings. That's where I grew up. <laughs> and so um, where did you end up going to school as an undergraduate? So... For my undergrad, um, I went to Ashland, Oregon. It's, uh, what, an hour 
away from Mount Shasta, right so, on the border. In so Oregon. just across the border into Oregon. Yeah, um, I I originally studied history because I'm a big nerd. Uh, there are a lot of history majors among yeah. our ranks. I mean, I'm also a history major as yeah. an undergrad. So um, I focused on medieval Europe, and I loved it. Uh, Ashland's a a bit larger. Uh, it's also the home for the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Um, while I was growing up, I did a lot of theater. And then one of the reasons I went to Ashland, I was I thought of getting into the theater, but then decided not to. Because in order to do theater there, you have to be a theater major, pretty much. And I studied history. Yeah, that's, unfortunately, a lot of the arts programs at a lot of schools are kind of like that. If you want to be in, in a music program, if you want to be in the theater department or whatever, you have to be a major for a lot yeah. of those things, which is unfortunate because a lot of us, you know, because I was, for me, it was music. I mean, I actually was a music major for a while, but mm-hmm. after I was no longer a music major, it's just so hard to be involved in organized in, in community college, uh, before I went to Ashland, I went to College of the Siskiyous for like a year and a half, which is in Weed, California. Yep. Uh, one hour north of, not one hour, uh, like 10 minutes north of Mount Shasta. It was Dunsmuir, Mount Shasta, and Weed. Um, it was a really bad school. But I did community college theater there from when I was 12 to when I graduated high school to... A few plays after then too. Okay. Um, so yeah, I did a lot of plays, and I thought of doing theater, but then I didn't want it to become a job. So I studied history. Okay, thought that would be fun. Well, that's a good way to go. Yeah, um, and around well, right after I graduated from high school is when I got into uh, cooking. Yeah, I mean, in, in case a lot of our listeners may not realize this, but Daniel is a really good cook. Oh, thank you. And he often will bring creations into the office, and everyone is very happy on those days. Uh, yeah, I started, what, I think I was 19. Um, I got a job as a dishwasher in a uh, buffet in town, and also got a job in a deli slicing meat and making sandwiches. Is this when you're you were still being raised vegetarian? Yeah. Actually, um, uh, not vegetarian, but uh, pescatarian. Pescatarian, that's right. And I was working in that deli, and I had turned 18. My parents said, you're an adult now. You can choose. And I was still pescatarian until the smell of the thinly sliced salami. I just had to try it. I thought it smelled really good. And I've been eating meat ever since. A pescatarian working in a deli. Yep. That's <laughs> nah, not going to last long. One, no. one, one thing's going to give. <laughs> continue on with pescatarianism and quit the deli or continue at the deli and quit the pescatarianism. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I dropped the pescatarianism. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, was that when you were a university student or uh, college student? But Yes to both. Yes to both. Um, okay. So community college. Yes, and then during the summer, um, I would go back to my hometown and work. Uh, so during community college, I worked in the buffet as the dishwasher and in the other place. And then when I was in college, uh, like my full undergrad, 
uh, during the summer, I'd go back to Mount Shasta and I would uh, wash dishes and do prep work in one of the fancier restaurants and also uh, make sandwiches. What did you do then after you graduated from uh, undergrad? So I graduated from my undergrad. I stayed in Ashland for a year, year and a half, uh, and cooked. Well, not cooked. Uh, I actually worked the front counter in a Mexican restaurant. Um, got a lot of free tequila there. It was pretty nice. Um, <laughs> and good food. Uh, and then... Stuff happened and decided, okay, I should move back to my hometown. It would be cheaper, easier, good to change scenery. So I moved back to Mount Shasta. And I was thinking, I had this idea, I need to get out of here. Um, I studied medieval European history. I want to go to Europe. I want to be able to live there and do something while I'm there so I can stay there for long term. Um, I wanted to see castles and and historical sites, and I just generally wanted to get out of the United States. Uh, this is during Bush administration, uh, W. The Bush the Younger. Bush the Younger. And so I, yeah, I'm pretty liberal, and I was like, I want to get out of here. So I moved back to Mount Shasta for another two years, and that's when I started cooking, uh, like full-time cooking before I was like prep cook and partial cook. And then I started full-time cooking. Uh, what kind of restaurant? So there's oh, four restaurants <laughs> off and on. Um, uh, one place was like wood fire pizza and burgers. I worked there for a few months. Another was a, it's kind of a cabaret, place like, like dinner club kind of yeah um and i was running the kitchen for a period of time there um but the two main places was there's a place called lily's which i think is you know it's still there uh, which is kind of a fancier restaurant in town i was a grill cook there and another place that's still there berryville which is kind of it's a like the name sounds it was kind of a a hippie uh, uh, health food store okay. that had a cafe in the back. And so I worked in the cafe and became the one of the supervisors, like weekend supervisors of the cafe. That was my favorite job. I learned the most there and at Lily's. Um, at Lily's, one of my good friends was, a, uh, was the manager, still is the manager, and he trained me all of the basics of cooking. And then I got to practice a lot of it at Berryville. So at Lily's, I would work Berryville in the morning, Lily's at night. And at, at Lily's, my friend would teach me how to make cheesecake because he was an expert. And then at Lily's, I would make cheese, or at Berryville, I'd make cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, uh, it was pretty fun. So I did that two years and saved up. Uh, not even close to enough money, but the basic money that I needed to fly to Prague, get a TEFL certificate, and uh, and get settled in Europe. I moved to Germany and taught okay. English. 
Okay, so how long were you in Prague? I was in Prague for five weeks. Okay, just so pretty short time. Uh, yeah, the program's one month. Um, it was a good program, though. Uh, the second day of taking classes on English teaching, they uh, put us in front of a classroom of paying students and had us teach with a teacher, one of our teachers sitting in the back watching us, giving us instructions and then tearing us apart afterward. <laughs> well, that's one way to go. Yep. Trial by fire, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I, I had some friends who had traveled through Europe and they said Freiburg and Breisgau was beautiful. So I, I had learned a bit of German in my undergrad and studied it as my foreign language and thought, I'll go to Germany. So I went to Freiburg. I got a job via email, <laughs> emailed a school, got a job, uh, got a second teaching job at another school and stayed there for two years. How was that experience? It was amazing. I There's a reason why I really want to go back. Um, after Japan, I'm thinking of going back to Germany or somewhere in Europe. Okay. What, what was amazing about it? Everything. Uh, <laughs> I love the food. Uh, Japanese food's great. All food is great. I'm a foodie, but I just really love the food, the beer, of course, and the fact that I could hop on my bike, go to a farmer's market that's in the shadow of a giant cathedral that's been there for hundreds of years, ride my bike to for an hour to in any direction to a castle ruin and have lunch with the sunset eating, you know, a baguette and some uh, cheese and and some freshly brewed beer from a farmer's market. Just, yeah, <laughs> that sort of thing that you can't really do anywhere else. Yeah, no, that would certainly be a, a uniquely European experience. I yeah. Think, especially, the, especially the castles. Yes. <laughs> especially the castles. That's very, very European. Very European. So, yeah, sit in the castle, watch the sunset on the ramparts. I love that. <laughs> I, that sounds like absolutely lovely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely lovely. I, would, I wouldn't mind experiencing that once in my life. <laughs> so, so two years about in Germany? Yep. Pretty and, much exactly. Okay. And why'd you stop? Uh, money. Money. <laughs> I had a job that uh, my main source of income at the time... The pay came late every month and then later every month and the hours weren't very steady and I was going into debt and decided it was time to move on. And so what did moving on entail? Back to Mount Shasta. <laughs> Keep coming back. Yep. I went back. Uh, I was, what, 28? Um I had had a lot of great experiences in Germany, of course. I traveled around Europe. I went to Oktoberfest. I did a lot of great, cool stuff. And then I went back to my small town, and it was kind of hell. Uh, <laughs> I went back to cooking, was the kitchen manager in the uh, in Berryville for a while, and still a girl cook at the other place. 
Um, did that for about two years. Paid off all my debt, which was great. And then uh, tried to decide what to do next, which was Portland. And is this your master's program? Yes. I was actually originally going to get a different master's. Um, I was originally thinking of getting a master's in intercultural relations. And what were you hoping to do with your master's in intercultural relations? Um, consulting. Go to different like multinational companies and help them open an office in a different country or um, get contracts that work in one country to work better in another country because of cultural issues, that sort of thing. So why, well, first off, why did you have interest in that specifically? Travel. Okay. The ability to travel around the world while working. That's the main okay. thing. And it's one of the reasons why I'm kind of tempted to still study it. To get a second master's? Yeah. And do that. Okay. And so why did you choose to not do that master's at that time at least? So I was living there uh, before I got that master before I got my master's, I stayed in Portland for a year working so that I would get in-state tuition. Um, I didn't want to pay all of the tens of thousands of extra dollars to pay out state out of state tuition. So I stayed for a year and worked in more restaurants. And uh, I met my ex-girlfriend and she was doing an MA in TESOL or was planning on it. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not sure about the intercultural relations. It sounds really interesting, but I don't know anybody doing it. I don't know. I'm not sure what I would be doing with it. But TESOL, I taught English before. Why not do TESOL? So I did the TESOL program. <laughs> and this is at Portland State, right? Yep. Portland State University, MA TESOL. Was it a uh, interesting program, good program, okay program? Okay program. Um, I think they're fixing it up, but when I was going there, the biggest uh, complaint that almost everybody had, um, including you can ask Chris, who's here, um, is that it's run by researchers. So they're much more research-focused rather than practical teaching-focused. Yes, and so most of our classes were research-based, research and applied linguistics. And very few of them were on how to teach English. <laughs> so I'm okay. I'm pretty good at uh, taking research and then trying to find a way to use it in the classroom. But actually setting up a class and doing long-term planning and that sort of thing, I, I never took a class on that. <laughs> that certainly is a big part of teaching. Yes. So a lot of my job now is uh, trying to learn as I go because, yeah. Well, I, I think no matter what program you do, there's going to be a lot of that because no matter what you do, no matter how much you study oh, yeah. the teaching, you're going to run into situations that just aren't <laughs> covered in your, in, in your program. Because I know for my... I, I, I did, so I did my master's. Yeah. 
that's actually why I'm really happy that I did my uh, certificate program before my TESOL. Um, I already learned all of the basics of grammar. Um, it, one of the electives was teaching grammar. Hmm. And I already basically took that in my certificate program. So I was happy about that <laughs> and my prior experience teaching English in Germany. Oh, yeah, because I, I had been teaching five, six years before I even started my master's. So I already knew a lot of the stuff that I was being taught. So it goes a long way. Yeah. Practical experience goes a long oh, way. Oh, yeah. Although my experience before coming j to Japan was very, very different. I'm sure teaching English in... In Germany. In, in yeah. In, to adults was... <laughs> I mean, because Europeans have a... Especially Northern Europeans have a very good reputation as English learners. Yeah. Uh, it, when I was in Germany, the main class that I taught was a group of students, 15 to 18 students, who were studying English for six hours a day, five days a week. Um, they were being sent there by the unemployment office. So they're unemployed and they were studying English so they'd get a better job, which I thought was a great program. That's lots of good motivation. Yeah. Um, and they were great. I, they were, I, I was told they were not as motivated as other students, but they were a lot more motivated than our Japanese students. Um, they just, they like to joke around in class. Their English level was much higher than anything we have now. And I loved it. Yeah. Also, uh, I taught a class called Just Talk, which was basically just conversation. We'd chat every Friday afternoon. And uh, some of the students found out that, <laughs> I didn't tell them this, but they found out that their unemployment check was for more money than we were being paid to teach their class. Um, and so they would buy, we would go to a beer garden for Just Talk and they'd buy me beer. And so I was paid <laughs> to drink beer and chat. And that was the best class I ever taught. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't complain. Yeah, no. Well, I'm glad they noticed that even though they were unemployed, they were doing better than their teacher. They <laughs> decided to do something about it. Yeah. Well, it was very nice of them. <laughs> so we've got your master's mm -hmm. from Portland State. And after that, you come here... Yes. Pretty much immediately? Yeah. Um, so I graduated from PSU, and I needed work. I had no idea what to do. So I started going on the TESOL boards and looking for jobs, and I applied to jobs all over the world, everywhere I could. And I heard back from a few... Um, and I was talking to one in China at a university and then here. And the, the pay was a little bit better here, although now that I think about it, probably would have made more money in China because... Cost of living? Cost of living is so low. But here I am. I, I took this job. Um, it was an adventure, and China would have been an adventure too because, you know, I don't speak... Chinese or Japanese? Chinese or Japanese, yeah. And 
since I came here kind of on a short notice a few months before I got here, I didn't, I tried a little, tried to learn a little bit of Japanese using uh, uh, Rosetta Stone, but not nearly enough. So <laughs> Japan is kind of notorious on being the, the, the bar for entry linguistically is very high <laughs> in Japan. And I understand China's kind of the same way. Yeah. But the linguistic, the level of, of being able to use it yeah. is pretty high. Yeah. Uh, in Germany, two years of college, I could get along fine. Although you can get along fine just speaking English in Germany. Um. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to be said for being able to maybe not understand all the words, but be able to read the words. Yes. And you can phonetically have a good guess at what they're saying. Whereas yes. you see a Japanese kanji or the Chinese character in China, if you've never seen it before, you can't even make a guess at what happens. Squiggly ha- lines to me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I went back to Germany last uh uh, winter break or spring break, and uh, I could understand 60-70% of what people were saying, which is really surprising to me since it's been years since I was there and since I studied, a decade since I studied it. Yeah. It really makes a difference. Yeah. No one just even... <laughs> You know, street names, you can guess. If someone tells you a street name in German, you can you can look at a street sign and see, hey. Yeah, oh, oh, it says Strasse. That means street. <laughs> if you got the name, you can look at it and say phonetically, okay, that looks right. Yeah, and here, I, I'm i not even sure where to find the street names. There are no street names. Okay. That's part of the problem. <laughs> Most streets in Japan do not have names. Just a street. Yeah, so I, uh, yeah, it's really easy to get lost here. And yeah. that and also the fact that the streets follow the same patterns that they did when it was like a little village. And yeah. <laughs> Some areas of Japan are better than others when it comes to that. Um, go visit Hokkaido sometime. Visit Sapporo. I, I hear. Sapporo is much simpler to navigate. It's built like it, a grid. Yeah, it's built... Absolutely on a grid. If you look at the map of downtown Sapporo, it looks like the map of a lot of American cities. Nice. Everything at right angles. (laughs) And regular block lengths and things like that. And actual street names. Not street names, but the the way of organizing the addresses is very logical. Everything is... It's block five north, three west. Oh, cool. So you basically... You give a, like, essentially a coordinate system. Yeah. To, to, to locate anything. Okay. So that's how Sapporo and then Asaikawa, which is the second biggest city in Hokkaido. And I think maybe Obihiro, which is, I think, the fourth or fifth biggest, are all built on that. Most of the, the bigger cities in Hokkaido are built on that grid system. That's nice. Yeah. Cause, well, because they're all built much later. <laughs> yeah. They're much newer cities. So they were built. They were not, there weren't little huts and tiny little... Yeah houses back when there were little fishing villages or anything because they weren't fishing villages yeah they just weren't um the old towns in europe are also like that yeah Yeah. uh but there are street names there are street names um (laughs) yes so you can figure out 
where the heck it is. A lot of the towns, though, because of the massive destruction in World War II, they were rebuilt on a grid. Yeah. But then there are some of them that, that definitely weren't. Uh, Prague was not bombed, and so there's a very confusing old town. Uh, Basel, Switzerland, mm. same thing. Now, there's one street that's... You know how there are very tiny streets in Japan? Mm -hmm. There's one in Basel that has a train that goes through it. I think I might have seen like images or video of that. It just, it's like what? less than a foot on both sides. And there are people who live on that street. Just, <laughs> how do you have a, a train? A tram. <laughs> on that street? I don't know. I don't know. So well, you you'd mentioned a little bit... Um, Going forward, you, you, you'd like to get back to Europe at some point. Yes. So. Um, I'm, I know I'm going to extend my contract here for another uh, another, another year another and a half point. to two years. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I'm thinking going back to school. I'm not sure what. I saw a few programs, ones in comparative education, which is kind of a do consulting with different schools around the world, um, intercultural relations, something like that. Probably in Europe where I won't rack up a lot more debt because I'm going to be paying off my student debt for the rest of my life probably. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, America. Or just find work in Europe because I want to go back. And long-term? Permanent expat? That's what I'm thinking. Um, yeah. I I know nowhere is kind of perfect. Uh, but a lot of things in the U.S. really, I really don't like. You know, Trump is president. I really don't want to move back. Well, thankfully <laughs> that won't last forever. No, but the very fact that he became president. I, I, I understood. Understood. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, unless something drastic changes, I am a permanent expat. It's decided at this point. Yeah. For me. But so unless something drastic happens, I am a permanent expat. But And so I'm probably going to be. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> there's no, no reason to decide it, but. Yeah. I, but you're at least open to the option. Yeah. Oh, I, I would love it. Europe live probably. In, yeah. Live in Berlin or something. Oslo. It would be awesome. Oslo. I've heard it's nice I've heard it's a very nice city. Yeah. I hear it's a very nice city. Um and then uh Yeah, a few other places too. Just Yeah, no. Scandinavia would also be good because you can get away with English. Yeah. <laughs> the Scandinavians tend to be very good with their English. And also, uh, you know, if I settled there, health care is good. Best education in the world if I had children, that, that sort of thing. Sounds very promising. And I'm better with the cold than with the heat. That's it's certainly... another reason to get out of Japan. At least this part of Japan. Yeah. Since we do live in just about... Not quite on the hottest spot. We're kind of adjacent to the hottest <laughs> spot in Japan. 
Summers here are awful. <laughs> you would do much better with summers in Hokkaido. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> much more tolerable in the summer in Hokkaido. <laughs> Um, did we get to the story you said about getting into how you got into English to ESL? Oh, um, kind of. It, I got into English through history because I I wanted to go see Europe. And I, my best way to live there would be to teach English. And then it was like, well, okay, I'll just teach English. <laughs> I mean, a lot of us ended up getting into this field Maybe not exactly the same way, but in kind of similar ways. It was this like this is a, a useful way to do something else I want to do, and we find out, hey, I'm not bad at this. I kind of like this. I can see myself doing this. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is that while I, I like cooking for friends and family, I learned that I hate being a cook in restaurants. And so one of the reasons I went to grad school was to escape the restaurant. Um, that was my skill. Like, I returned from Europe in 2010, you know, kind of during the height of the financial crisis when there are no jobs and easily found jobs because I was a cook. But people got to eat. Yeah, and so I can easily get a job like that, but I don't want to ever have to do it again. So that was one of the reasons I went back to school for anything, to get out of the kitchen. Well, those of us who are your co-workers are grateful for that. As I say, we often get very delicious treats, so thank you for that. Of course. And thank you for talking with me today. Anytime. A lot of fun. Thanks. That's all for Expanding Circles for today. I'll keep making these things as long as I can find people to talk to, and as long as people are listening. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Isaacson.